American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. If you've ever seen like the video of the horse that gets right up to the jump and then can't make it over, my brain will do that. I will get to where it's like, nope, 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 we are not doing that. And I may have done it a hundred times, but especially if somebody is pressuring me to do it, I kind of have a slow processing speed and I need to be able to work things through. But if you press me to do something, my brain like goes into overwhelm and just shuts down. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I am your host, Katie Weber. The following is a review from the Australian Apple podcast platform from Kay Mollenkamp. It's called Validating. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My depression and anxiety have been prevalent since childhood, but I always felt like I was an alien. After spending eight years treating resistant MDD, which is major depressive disorder, I felt so defeated. I couldn't keep a job, complete school, or organize my life despite trying every medication. I've just been diagnosed with inattentive ADHD at 30, and listening to these lived experiences has really validated my own. Oh gosh, sometimes these reviews really hit home. Thank you so much for taking the time to reach out and for sharing this feedback. Leaving a review not only makes my day and makes me feel so validated in putting these interviews out into the world, but they also help this podcast get found by other women who are exploring their own ADHD diagnoses and finally feeling like they're not aliens after years of struggling. So thank you. And if you've been loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review on the Apple Podcast platform or even just pause now, hit those five stars, and then come on back. Okay, this is episode 44 in which I interview Julie Uhernick. Julie is an insurance agent who was diagnosed during the pandemic after an abrupt pivot in her career path left her feeling out of sorts. She is a self-proclaimed, clumsy, spontaneous, childlike lover of life who is still trying to understand how a late diagnosis of ADHD may have affected her whole life. Julie is a listener of this podcast who reached out to me to share her story because even though not many people in her life know about her diagnosis, including her own husband, she has benefited so much in her own life from hearing these interviews and she wanted to pay it forward. We talk all about some of the stigmas that surround ADHD and mental health in general and why Even though this diagnosis is often life-changing for many of us, coming out of the ADHD closet poses a lot of challenges. Julie was an absolute pleasure to interview, and I know many of you are going to relate to this so much. I know I certainly did. Enjoy. I was so intrigued when you reached out to me. I think you probably, like many of us, have a very fascinating story. You were recently diagnosed in December. Why don't you talk to me about what led up to you first thinking you might have ADHD in the first place and kind of walk me through how you ended up getting your diagnosis. Well, I never in a million years thought ADHD, never. I have never been described as hyperactive at all. Um, Lazy perhaps, but not hyperactive. So I commute 50 miles one way every day. So it's a hundred miles round trip. And I listen to a ton of podcasts And I was listening to another podcast 
And the host was talking about his own case of ADHD and, you know, the stereotypical vision of the ADHD kid and stuff. And I almost changed it because I was like, well, this doesn't apply to me. But I didn't really have anything else downloaded. So I went ahead and listened. And by the end of it, I was like, are you kidding me? You know, and it just explained so many things that I've been dealing with my whole life. It was like my whole life just flashed before my eyes. So then that's when I went about getting a diagnosis and, you know, started doing all the research online myself, listening to the podcasts and whatnot. And I just, um, you know, with COVID and stuff, it's really hard to get into a doctor, really hard to go through some of these processes. So I just went through an online company and it came back with flying colors that I'm combined type. And I was like, oh my gosh, my whole life makes sense now. (laughs) Do you remember what it was about the podcast? You said it was the virtual couch with yeah. Tony Overbay. Uh-huh. What do you remember what it was during that episode that was like the first light bulbs that started going off for you? You know, he was reading through um something off helpguide.org about all the different symptoms and how it's overlooked um not only in adults but in girls, in women and I really researched that more and your podcast has been so helpful with that. Um, because I relate to all the women that have been on your podcast, I just find myself going, yes, oh my God, (laughs) you know, it's like, these are my people. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of the list of stuff that he was going through and the daydreaming. And I remember, you know, always being in trouble in school. I very much became a people pleaser because I don't like to be in trouble. I don't like to fail. I don't like to be in trouble. So I've really always had to rein it in my whole life because I I didn't want to be in trouble. Um, And so, yeah, just so many of the things that he went through as a list of symptoms with this helpguide.org were immensely helpful. Yeah, I think when I made the connection between impulsivity and the hyperactivity, you know, because I was a very, a very much the same way, my therapist recommended, my therapist had been telling me I had ADHD for years. And I just like, it didn't register because I thought immediately it was like, I'm not hyperactive. And it wasn't until I started making those connections about the hyperactive mind and what a hyperactive mind looks like in terms of impulsivity and that the impulsivity is what leads to financial problems and, you know, making the impulse purchases and like, all you know, those were those light bulbs where I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I have all of that stuff. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Did so, you take any online tests? I did. I took a bunch of the online tests and it was, you know, it all came back you know, like you say kind of flying colors and stuff. So then I went to, I think it was ADHD online because one of my favorite sayings is ain't nobody got time for that. If it is long and time consuming, no. And so I went online and I did the ADHD online assessment and their psychologist licensed all of that and got my results. Well, then I took it to my primary and my primary and I have a great relationship. 
Um, Because sometimes you go to doctors and they're like, okay, what kind of drugs are you trying to score? And mine knows that I really won't take something unless I know that it's, it's something that I've really researched. So I gave her my results and she's like, no, ADHD is a kid's disorder. You would have known it from the time you were a kid. Um, she, wow. was, she was like, what did you pay for this assessment? And really, and again, luckily we have a really good rapport because we can talk to each other like that. And I'm all, no, I firmly believe it. I've done my research on this. Um, and she's like, okay, what do you want to do? I said, well, I think I want to try a little bit of Adderall to see, you know, what, what the effects are from that. And so she's like, okay, I don't have a problem with that. And she gave me that. And immediately I could tell a difference. Mm. Um, it's the instant release. And as soon as it wears off, I can feel it wearing off. Um, and I don't know if this is common to people. Some of the groups that I'm in kind of sounds like it is. I have songs in my head all the time, all the time. I wake you up. You mean that's not normal? <laughs> I didn't know that either. <laughs> and I, I didn't know that wasn't a normal thing. And um, repetitive thoughts and stuff. And it shuts that off. And as soon as it starts wearing off, the songs come back. And, uh, and when great. I get really stressed out, I've always I've always been one that I'll sing a song. I'm my big one is Indiana Jones. I'll go around the office going dun 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 dun, <laughs> and they're like, "Settle down, Indiana Jones." And so you can just tell when I'm really stressed out because that's how it comes out. I love that. And and you know, later in the day, you're like, the songs, they're back. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed when I was on, when I first tried a stimulant, I didn't take Adderall. I took Vyvanse, but they're, I think, the same family of stimulant. I noticed that right away that my brain was just so much quieter. I'm right. like, how do you explain that to people who don't understand, you know, that feeling of just like there was that much less noise happening? Um but I love that with the songs. <laughs> well, I think that was another thing with the Tony Overbay thing, just listening to the symptoms and going, oh my gosh, everybody isn't like this. I didn't know this was unique because I had no other frame of reference. This is how I've always been. And so I'm like, oh, no wonder sometimes people look at me strange. No wonder nobody else in the office is walking around singing Indiana Jones. You know, it just um, really clicked for me. Yeah. And I think also there's that sense of, for me, at least it, it was, how much am I struggling? You know, because I felt like a lot of the time when I was researching ADHD, there was a sense of like, yes, everybody forgets their key sometimes. Everybody gets distracted sometimes, but it's really a how much you, how much this is impeding in your life or how much this is sort of, a, um, you know, taking you away from what you would otherwise be able to do. How much is this impeding your life? And I had that big question all the time, which was, yeah, like, how much am I struggling? I don't know. And I think that was what really hit me as a, in the pandemic was when all of the structure and all of my day-to-day um, planning went, went out the window that I was like, okay, now, now I am definitely struggling. <laughs> like, this is much clearer to me. 
Right. I think the pandemic was just huge in bringing this to light. And I'm getting older and I've got some hormonal changes going on. And I changed jobs in the middle of the pandemic. And it was just really, really bad to the point where I thought, gosh, am I getting early onset Alzheimer's? What is going on? Because it's a funny story, but I bought a new car because I have this big commute. And so I bought a hybrid um, and it's got all kinds of distraction features on it to pull you back like lane assist and all that. I thought I was an excellent driver until I bought this car and this car is just on me all the time. I mean, had it not been for this car, I would lock my keys in my car like every other day. Um, yeah, because it beeps when you leave the keys in the car. Um, it gets you back in lane assist. And sometimes it even comes up with a message on the dashboard that says, you might want to consider taking a break and shows me a coffee symbol. I'm like, that would be awesome if it would actually give me a cup of coffee and maybe a cookie. But it, you know, but yeah, my car maybe was Maybe another huge. 10 years. <laughs> That's a really great point. I never thought about that because our car... When we, we have an electric car and that one is just a button, you know, press on and off if you have the key fob on you and it beeps if you leave the car on when you start to walk away from the car. And that happens to me all the time where I forget to leave the car off yeah. or I forget to turn the car off and it's beeping at me and I'm so grateful for it. Exactly. Because I, I you can't hear that it's running because it's got that, you know, battery and no, I do that too. I walk away. I'm like, why are you beeping at me? Did I leave the keys? Did I leave the car on? What? So, you know, that was another big one um, that I had really started noticing. And then with this new job, there was a lot of it that I really had to focus on. I'm in, I'm in insurance and I would really need to focus and I would bounce from one task to the next. And I get a lot done and I always have but I really needed to focus and dig in and, you know, work on one particular thing for a while. And it was just, it was getting really bad. Uh, I've noticed recently there's something like the ADHD tax, I guess, when they talk about that, you know, like what are the ADHD taxes? And I feel like my ability to get things done in a nine to five window is impossible because I'm so distracted. And so often I will work from the minute I get up until bedtime because I feel as though I'm supposed to get a certain amount of work done that day. And because I'm always going off and I've got my kids and this and that, and I'm working from home. Like I feel like I'm in a state of working quote unquote the entire time of the day. And it's sort of just recently occurred to me how, how, detrimental that is, you know, like how that's, you really need to be able to kind of shut off and, and turn off and, um, or turn off that work side of you and then have your home side of you. And I think so many of us have difficulty working from home doing that because there's a sense of like, well, if I was less distracted, I would be able to get X amount done. Um, so to then to be in a situation where you are actually at the workplace and to feel like, there's a certain amount you need to get done or there's a certain amount that you need to um, accomplish within that day and not being able to do it explains why we're such workaholics. <laughs> and I feel like I have to get all the things done. 
Yeah. You know, it's, I can't stand to have stuff that's not done. And with insurance, I mean, you're waiting on underwriters, you're waiting on different things. And it drives me nuts because I feel like, oh my gosh, I have so many things that are undone. And it's a lot of it is outside of my control. So I commute an hour in the morning and then I work and then I commute an hour at night. And then a lot of times I'll do marketing and things like that in the evening because I feel like I've just got so many things that are undone. So, Mm. and then I also mentioned that I changed jobs during the pandemic. And I know it's something I've heard some of your other guests talk about is um, needing to feel like you're an expert right away. I can't stand not knowing what I'm doing. And so changing jobs in the middle of the pandemic, that was really tough too, um, because I went back to beginner status and I found my anxiety and um, my frustration levels, my overwhelm, um, just kind of really escalating because of the changes in, in the job. Yes. And I think that also we hold ourselves to such high standards because we are bright and we feel like we should be able to figure everything out. And when you hit that point where you might be, you know, not, not hold, you know, not meeting your own expectations, that's when, you know, we start to get that as, as one of my guests called it, the piece of shit syndrome, you know, where we start to get really, really frustrated with ourselves. And then you start to question, well, am I as bright as I think I am? You know, (laughs) because I hold, you know, I feel like I'm holding myself to all of these high standards. And then you add in aging, you know, being a woman who's aging. And then, you know, then they start talking about estrogen and hormones. And I'm just like, it's dizzying to question all of that. I find certainly as I'm aging, just being like, am I no longer in the arena, you know, and, and, and is, um, is that a function of my aging? Is that a function of the fact that I'm an aging woman? Or do I have Alzheimer? You know, like all of those questions that you don't have the answers to. But yeah, that's a great point of really, I think we all have that in common where we hold ourselves to incredibly high standards because we are capable of so much. And so when you get those situations where it's like, why can I do it sometimes, but not other times, um, that we start to get really frustrated with ourselves. Well, and Brendan Mahan, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He talks about the wall of awful, where you just kind of hit this wall where you can't get past it. And I use a lot of horse analogies. If you've ever seen like the video of the horse that gets right up to the jump and then can't make it over, my brain will do that. I will get to where it's like, nope, 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 nope. We are not doing that. And I may have done it a hundred times. Um, But especially if somebody is pressuring me to do it, I kind of have a slow processing speed and I need to be able to work things through. I'm an excellent trainer because you give me something and I will break it down to the lowest possible denominator so that people can understand it. But if you press me to do something, my brain like goes into overwhelm and just shuts down. 
you have to leave me alone and let me kind of figure it out on my own and then I can figure it out. So with that horse that goes over a jump, it doesn't matter how much you beat that horse. Something has changed. They smell something. They see something, whatever it is, they cannot get over that. And I really relate to that because unless you leave me alone and let me figure it out, I'm not getting over that jump. No way, no how. Oh my God. I love that analogy. That is so great. And it perfectly describes that feeling of like, sometimes everything, all the cards are right and everything falls into order and it's great, but I can't, I can't replicate that. I don't really know what's happening or why. Um, And then also like the, you brought in a bit of the sensory issues too. Cause one thing I've really realized since my diagnosis was how many sensory issues I have that I had no idea I did about, you know, things in my face or too many people talking at once or the ticking clock, you know, <laughs> like all of these ways in which we have, um, like you said, like all of the, the environmental elements have to be perfect as well and not knowing really even what those are. Right. And, you know, my husband and I go back and forth all the time that I'm deaf. I'm not deaf. It's either that my brain is over here and he's talking to me over here or, you know, it's just that I hear him, but my brain doesn't process what he's saying because it's going a million miles an hour. So we've ruled out deafness at this point. (laughs) Oh, you're right. That is a great point. So now what, what was your husband's reaction to this journey, this diagnosis? You know, and that's kind of what I said in my bio is I haven't told anyone yet. Um, Not even your husband? And not even my husband. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) Because I feel like the reaction would be, I knew it. You know, I knew there was something going on there. I am extremely clumsy. And that's one of the things that I look back on my childhood and go, oh, yeah, that was totally ADHD. Because if there is a crack in the sidewalk, if there's a pothole, if there's a stick, I'm going to fall over it. And so he goes around going pothole, stick, you know, he's like pointing out all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't need you to do that. I'm a grown ass woman. Next thing I know, I'm on the ground. So, you know, it's just, there's this whole part of me that doesn't want to admit to it yet. Um, And I think uh, Brene Brown talks about it a lot. She's like, you have to pick who deserves to know your story. And not that my husband doesn't deserve to know my story. He does. I just don't want it to change the way he looks at me because I'm the same lovable goof laying on the ground that I've always been, you know? It doesn't change who I am as a person. The diagnosis has just really helped me to be a better me, I think, because I can look at things and go, oh, yeah, that's that's why that's why I'm overwhelmed. That's why I'm frustrated. That's why I'm on the verge of a meltdown. Um, You know, it just helps me really to regulate that more. And I don't feel like I need to really tell anyone my story. That's why I kind of hesitated to come on to your podcast but the women that have been on here have just resonated with me so much that I thought 
You know, if anybody that I know is listening to this podcast, then they're my tribe anyway. You know, they'll get me. They'll understand what I'm going through. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am very open about my own experiences with therapy. I've been seeing the same therapist for years, and it was my therapist who first suggested I had ADHD and set me on this personal path of transformation. But it also took a while to find the right fit for me, which is why it is so awesome that online resources like BetterHelp exist. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online from the comfort of your home. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise, which might not be available locally. If you visit their website and read through their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off of your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash women ADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash women ADHD. I know, you know, it's funny. I, I, in a very ADHD moment, accidentally outed myself with the podcast. I don't know if I've actually even talked about, I think maybe I've talked about this on this in one of the interviews, but you know, when I started the podcast and when it was coming out, I created a Facebook page and a website and Instagram and everything else. And I accidentally, I thought I was posting something on a Facebook page that I hadn't told anybody about, but I accidentally posted it on my personal Facebook profile. And so there, all of a sudden it was out. I have ADHD and I've made this podcast. I hadn't told anybody for a lot of the same reasons, which is sort of like you, like you said, you know, it's, it's a matter of who needs to know. And it was my own personal journey. And I just hadn't really kind of thought about how I was going to come out of that closet. And there I was, I did it. And it was so funny to me at the moment, because I was like, there you go again, like impulsively blurting and hitting send (laughs) without thinking about the consequences. And I was interested you know, it was interesting to me because the reaction from a lot of people was to sort of private message me and say, wow, you're so brave for coming out. And, and that I, you know, this is, I know people who have this or, you know, my sister has this, or, you know, all of these people who wanted to share their stories about it. And, um, and it's, so it's been interesting to me to be very public about ADHD because I've noticed that a lot of people, especially on Facebook, because I think the people who follow me on other social media platforms have ADHD. I mean, they're, they're my people. Facebook is my family and friends. (laughs) And as we know, your family is not always your people. So, you know, a lot of the reactions that I've gotten on Facebook, when I talk about ADHD struggles, you know, or some of the, you know, when I, when somebody has ADHD and I post about something like, oh, I bought another planner and it was, it's what a waste of money because they never work, you know? And the people who have ADHD respond to that post like, oh, I know, right? Relatable. And we all kind of like chuckle about this struggle of ours. But then the people who don't have ADHD react like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you were struggling. Why don't you try this planner? Or why don't you try this? And they give me all of this unsolicited advice. And it gets me so angry because I'm I'm like, like you said, like you can't manage their responses, right? And these are people who genuinely care about you and you have complicated, nuanced relationships with all of these people. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I don't want your pity. Like, yes, I am struggling, but I don't, want your pity. I don't want your advice. Like it is a really difficult relationship to have with people when they sort of jump in and start trying to 
help you. And, and, and so I'm like, why are we venting people with ADHD? Just get it. You know, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. They get that need to vent and they get that need to talk about our struggles and we relate to each other, but it's like, yes, I'm struggling, but I'm not like capital S struggling. You know, (laughs) when I was capital S struggling, I was not posting on social media. You know, those were the times where you feel like, you know, that those are the that's when I was really hurting where, you know, was when I wasn't reaching out. Um, so it's been a very interesting journey in terms of like how you can and can't manage how people look at you and, and realizing the misconceptions so many people have about ADHD and, and how so many people think of this, like when I came out with it, that I had been diagnosed. I think even the term diagnosis, a lot of people think it's like a terminal illness (laughs) and they're sort of like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, it's actually the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. (laughs) It was before my diagnosis that I was really struggling. So I'm glad you brought that up. And I really did want to talk more about that stigma, the mental health stigma, because it's sort of, it's almost like we bring it on ourselves in a lot of that way, right? Yes, yes. And and that was one of the things that I, I did kind of say I wanted to talk about was that stigma, because I grew up in a household where I had a parent with OCD. And if, if again, I'm not an expert, I, I'm only talking from my own experiences, but If you grow up in a household with OCD, a lot of the compulsions that that person has are passed on to you. It was a hand washing compulsion. And, you know, that was a, you need to go wash your hands and don't tell anybody, you know? And so it became like this little dirty secret in the household that we all kind of lived with. And then, you know, when I look back at ADHD in childhood, I'm older, so it wasn't really, really a thing yet. But my brother, I think it was talked about that he may have ADHD. It was kind of suggested. It was right at the beginning of the whole Ritalin phase. And so it was maybe suggested that he went on that. And it was almost like a parenting flaw that you couldn't parent your child, that you couldn't get your child to behave So we had to medicate them. And there was just this whole negativity around it, this whole stigma. And it's like, I am not medicating my child, you know, because you can't control your classroom, you know, just all of this negativity surrounding it. And now that I know more about it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, if you could have just medicated me, because I think that was what I said to myself at the end of the Tony Overbay thing was, oh my God, this could have been medicated. I've been doing this my whole life and didn't have to. And so, you know, I think it prevents a lot of people from getting the treatment that they need and moving on with a perfectly normal life. You know, just treat it and and move on with it, you know? Um, like I said, it helps me to be a better me to just know what's going on. And so there can be a whole dark side to that, I feel. And, you know, trigger warning, my brother ended up passing away from um, an opioid addiction because we tend to self-medicate. If we don't get the diagnosis that we need and the treatment that we need, a lot of people self-medicate. And, you know, that's how it ended up presenting in my brother. Yeah, that's such a great point. And it is so frustrating that I've 
interviewed many women and just hear about them in the Facebook groups as well, who have met, been met with that same thing you talked about earlier with your GP of just like, oh, are you just like, you just want drugs. <laughs> and to think about all of our journeys and that feeling of like, oh my goodness, this, all of these struggles might have an answer. And that over, like that overwhelming sense of relief when you think, oh, this could be ADHD. And then to be met with a doctor who says no, you know, or, or questions your own research and that. So I wanted to let you know about the brand new Women and ADHD online community. So two things I hear time and time again from listeners of this podcast is A, wow, I feel so much less alone. And B, I feel like I finally found my people. We have felt so alone for so long, which is why the desire to understand ourselves and make connections and feel understood is really strong in all of us. I mean, it's why I started this podcast, to find others who were experiencing life like I was. And in doing so, I have met so many guests and listeners who are just amazing, brilliant ADHD women. And now I want you all to meet each other. That's why I've started this free online community because I believe finding our people is an integral part of treating our ADHD. When it comes to understanding our brains and the way we tick, we do so through conversation and community. We like to talk it out and get feedback and explore ourselves and sort through the chaos and ultimately know that we are not alone in all of this. So head over to womenandadhd.com to join. It's totally free. You can look around, introduce yourself, post thoughts and questions, pontificate to your heart's content. And there's also a constantly evolving list of ADHD resources. And you also have the option at any time to upgrade, and that'll give you all sorts of exclusive content like early access to this podcast, a free copy of my audiobook, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom, as well as twice monthly live member hangouts on Zoom with me and other members where we talk about our ADHD brains and symptoms and hormones and nutrition and plenty of other life topics we obsessively ponder as neurodivergent women. So again, head over to womenandadhd.com to join us. There's also a link in the show notes. All right. I can't wait to see you there soon. Now, do you have, uh, do you have kids? I do. I have two boys. Um, my older son, he may have some ADHD. I sent him a video. He's like, mom, are you implying I have ADHD? And I said, no, I'm considering the fact that I have ADHD and I'm wondering if you feel the same. I've always just been, you know, when you talk about the upside of, of it, I've always just been really fun, really spontaneous. Let's jump in the car and drive to Disneyland and, you know, just really impulsive things that I look back now and think, oh yeah, that was so ADHD. Um, but he's, you know, he kind of struggled in school and uh, there's a lot of similarities between he and I. And so, but I didn't know how to help him because again, I thought everybody was like this. I knew he struggled in school. I thought if there was something going on, the school would evaluate it and find out. And nobody ever said anything. So he never got evaluated or, or treated or tested either. So I, you know, that's my older son. 
And then my younger son, actually, I adopted. He's my brother's son when my brother passed away. Um, and so he has he has some struggles, but I wouldn't say ADHD. Uh, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And again, like you said, when if there is sort of that negative stigma, even when you said your son was like, what are you trying to tell me? Do you think, you know, are, exactly. is this some, are you seeing negative things and you are trying to make me feel bad about myself as opposed to saying like, no, like there's an answer to all of this. Right. And, and that's the kind of relationship that my son and I have. And so while he initially took it negatively, I'm like, no, the Indiana Jones music. I think that's ADHD. <laughs> So, um, yeah, um, that's, that's me and my kids, but that's kind of the upside to it is I've always just been really fun, really childlike, you know, um, the amusement parks, I would take them to go play laser tag and I would sit down and go, okay, are you going to sit here and read this book? Or are you going to make memories with your kids? So I would be in there playing laser tag with my kids and I'd be the only grown up in there. And, you know, I just, a lot of that childlike kind of quality. And I think, I really think if you talk about superpowers, that's one of them because I've just always been able to relate to, I would say I relate to kids and dogs because <laughs> they just kind of get me. <laughs> and horses, I guess, right? And horses, yeah. And so the whole horse thing, when I was growing up, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, children's rheumatoid arthritis. And I've always lived with a lot of pain. And so, gosh, 1986, I had a really bad horse accident. Um, and I broke my pelvis. I broke so many bones. This horse flipped over backwards on me and just broke everything. So I'm laying in a hospital bed and they're like, oh, gosh, if she still has children's rheumatoid arthritis, this is going to be really bad. This is going to settle into these joints and, and she's going to be crippled. So, um, and I don't know if that's the PC term, but anyway, um, so they ran all these tests and found nothing, nothing at all. No rheumatoid arthritis, no osteoarthritis, nothing. So here I am with all these broken bones laying in a hospital bed and my mother is mad <laughs> because she's like, okay, so how long have you been faking, um, since you grew out of this rheumatoid arthritis to get out of doing things. And I'm like, I swear, I'm not faking. I'm not a hypochondriac. I really have all this pain. So jump forward five, six years, whatever it is. And I end up in the emergency room because I'm in so much pain. I had been tested for lupus and MS and all of these other things and nothing. They could find nothing. They diagnosed it finally as fibromyalgia. And if you know anything about fibromyalgia, that covers like everything from um, anxiety, depression, irritable bowel syndrome, low property values. You know, they just kind of throw it all in this bucket. And it's basically the diagnosis they give you if they have no idea what's wrong with exactly, you. Exactly, right? exactly. Um, but it made sense because, I mean, I had struggled with a lot of these things all of my life. And so 
after you get that diagnosis, then anytime there's anything wrong with you, really, it's like, ah, it's just my fibromyalgia. You can be walking down the street and your ear falls off and it's like, ah, it's just my fibromyalgia, you know? So um, it kind of prevents you from seeking out any other treatment. But we talk about all the research we do, and sometimes I call it me search because I'm always just researching what is wrong with me. What is going on with me? And, you know, it was like, well, maybe I've got some childhood trauma. Uh, maybe I'm just highly sensitive. Uh, you know, because I always felt like there was something that didn't quite fit into that fibromyalgia bucket. And listening to Tony Overbay that day, it just clicked. I was like, oh, my gosh, wow. that is it. And so some of the medications that I had been taking for fibromyalgia, the anxiety, the depression, whatever, I've been able to either lower or eliminate some of those because it was all stimming. Well, not all, because I still have the pain issue, but a lot of it was stimming from ADHD. Wow. That's incredible. I was just going to ask about what, you know, what do you think now looking back what are your thoughts about the chronic pain? Because I know, I mean, I've, I've heard so many stories about the way in which anxiety manifests itself, you know, in terms of, I, I was convinced that it was sleep deprivation because that was my experience, but also that sense of just self-doubt and not knowing what is the answer for any of these various struggles cr creates that sense of self-doubt creates so much anxiety. But then ADHD Bree, she was talking about being like the good kid and how she had had all of this responsibility placed on her as a good kid and wanting and, and how the people pleasing led to anxiety because of all this responsibility at a young age. And I had never made that connection before. And I was just like, I mean, it, it is it's so fascinating. And it's funny how you say like the me search. I've never heard that term, but it makes, I so relate to that because I've often said like, my hobby is trying to figure out me. Like there is nothing in the world more interesting than trying to figure out all of these mysteries about me. Yeah. From, from the, the mystery illnesses to why do I react this way? Or what is it about my childhood? All of that stuff. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts about the physical pain element? And, you know, I really, I still don't know. I still attribute that to fibromyalgia um, because they can't find anything else. But I do find that when I execute, execute good self-care, I work on getting sleep. I, you know, keep up with doctor visits, chiropractic, masseuse, that kind of stuff. That pain does subside. Um, Karen Hurd was on one of your podcasts. I reached out to her about um, nutrition because I think nutrition is huge too. I can't say that I do great with my nutrition. That's another reason why I think you and I are probably kindred spirits. I was reading your book and you're, you were a Weight Watchers leader. Me too. Yep. <laughs> Me too. Early, really? Early nineties. <laughs> yeah. Early nineties. I did the whole Weight Watchers thing because I have always struggled with my weight. Um, very impulsive when it comes to eating, binge eating, um, fighting with that my whole life, always from one diet to the next. So, you know, I think nutrition plays a big part of that. And, but yeah, I still just attribute that part of it to um, fibromyalgia and fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. 
Yeah, you know, I had a, a scare maybe like five or six years ago, I started getting really bad vertigo. And um, it had gotten so bad I couldn't drive anywhere because I didn't know when I was going to get a wave of vertigo. And when I would get a wave of vertigo, I couldn't even keep my eyes open because I would immediately vomit. Mm. And it, it was so bad. And I kept going back to the ENT because I thought it had something to do with my sinuses because I've always had sinus issues and just sort of assumed that that had to do with the sinuses and they confirmed it. And I was losing my hearing. I was about to get hearing aids, uh, which, which they also said probably wasn't going to help, but they didn't know what else to do. I was on a diuretic. I was, I had to give up caffeine and chocolate and dairy and like sodium and I couldn't, I was on such a low sodium diet that I couldn't go anywhere. Like I was so unhappy. And I went to the dentist and the dentist said, it's, um, he said, let me take an x-ray of your jaw because I think it might be your uh, temporomandibular joint. I think you might have TMJ. And so he took an x-ray and sure enough, one of my joints uh, I had been grinding my teeth so much at night that one of the joints was jammed up into my inner ear canal. Oh and the dentist said, "That's this is what's causing everything. He said, as soon as we fix that, uh, your, your, the ringing in your ear is going to go away. You're going to get your hearing back. You're not, no longer going to get vertigo. It's all stemming back to the teeth grinding. And as soon as he said that, I thought, of course, I've been grinding my teeth my whole life. And everybody has always said, use those mouth guards that you get at the drugstore. And he said, the mouth guards are the worst thing for you because all they're doing is just jamming that joint further up into the ear. And it was like, it was one of those, those come to Jesus moments where I was like, oh yes, that's it. And I went to the ENT and I said, you know, the dentist just told me that this is the, this is going to cure everything. And all I have to do is get this bite plate and it's going to, you know, separate my jaw. And he said, it's going to heal everything. And the ENT was like, mm, I don't, I don't know. I've never heard of that. I don't believe it. And so I thought I had that moment where I was like, do I believe the ENT or do I believe the dentist? And, <laughs> and so I went with the dentist and I got the mouth guard within 24 hours, all of these symptoms I had been struggling and suffering with were gone. My hearing was back. I've never had vertigo since. I still to this day wear um, a mouth, you know, a, a different type of mouth guard in my mouth that keeps my jaw from grind, teeth from grinding. And it was just like the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I, it was such an interesting journey because there were so many times where I needed to kind of advocate for myself in the doctor's office where the doctor was telling me one thing and I, and I was like, no, it's, I'm pretty sure that's not it. Um, and then finding that answer and having everything be better. And it was the dentist, like it was just one of those things I never in a million years would have made that connection. And I feel like there are many, many women out there who, who are teeth grinding and have no idea that, that this is the cause of all of these other seemingly unrelated issues. And I'm like, I wanted to, you know, I just wanted to advocate so much and get the word out and just be like, everybody needs to know about this whole TMJ <laughs> thing. And so there's been so many parallels with the ADHD journey too, right? Where you're just like, if my story can help one person figure it out, it would be so worth it. Well, and I think that's what's, what's hard in this whole thing is because, you know, we go to one doctor and we get one diagnosis and no, it can't be that or it can't be this. And so you go to a different doctor and they say, no, it's this. And just really finding that explanation is, is sometimes just so tough. 
you know, and you've just dealt with it for so long. And, you know, I've had all of the, the meltdowns and I've lost jobs because I haven't handled things well in the workplace. Um, I've alienated people and I've hurt people's feelings because I'm the world's worst about playing with my cell phone. And I really didn't even realize that I was doing it. It was more of a distraction. I can be listening to you. I can be on a webinar, a conference call, whatever, and scroll in my phone because it's like my brain has two completely different sides to it. Um, so I've really hurt people's feelings, not even meaning to. And I just go back to the whole thing thought of, you know, if somebody would have found this sooner, if I would have found this sooner, so many things could have been avoided. So it all comes back to just being able to, to get that diagnosis and finding a doctor that is really on your side. And when I say my doctor and I have a really good relationship, um, we do because she encourages me to go and seek other professionals and other treatment. And, you know, she will listen to me. So you've got to not only advocate for yourself, but find that physician that you have a good relationship with. And if you don't, you have to change physicians. Yes, that's a great point. And you've now taught her what ADHD looks like in a middle-aged woman too, which is something that she obviously had not been exposed to before. Yeah. That was another thing about that whole TMJ story was that I went to my GP and was telling her about this whole journey because I had initially gone to her and she was the one who said, I don't know, go to a, go to an ENT. So when I went back to her and said, Oh, it's my jaw. She was like, yes. Oh, that's so cool. All right. And she, and she was like, now I've learned something. And I'm like, yes, that is the side of a good doctor. The side of a bad doctor is the ENT who was like, I've never heard of that. That can't be possible. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so that's, a, that's great. And, and now you're helping your doctor so that if another woman comes in and says, I don't know, maybe this is ADHD, but I'm not hyperactive. She can be like, well, actually, <laughs> Julie, <laughs> informed, you know, um, one thing I have been asking all of my guests is, is if you could rename ADHD to something else, what would you rename it to? Because those four letters are so problematic for so many women. Yeah. And, you know, I was trying to think of like something that sounded all scientific and whatnot. And I am a complete smart aleck. And all I could really come up with was fabulously unfocused because <laughs> that would be F you. And I might be more apt to tell people, you know, I'm sorry, I just have a really bad case of F you. Um, so... <laughs> I can see the t-shirts now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just have a really bad case of F you, which I mean, I know, totally inappropriate, but I thought it was funny. Because that's how oh, I get it. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now I know what to say to all of my relatives who tell me I'm so sorry you're struggling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now we have talked about some of the things that you love about your ADHD. Um, how do you feel like this diagnosis has changed for you in terms of you, how you look at yourself and your self-talk? Um, yeah, really, I've, I've become a, a better advocate for myself. 
before when I would make a mistake, I would really start to beat myself up. Um, the whole perfectionist thing would kick in. And now I'm more of, okay, can it be fixed? Yes. Did you chop off somebody's frontal lobe in a brain surgery? No. You know, so just really going, oh, okay, that, you know, it's something that can be fixed. Let's put a system in place because I think systems are really important. Started using a bullet journal. I don't know how long that's going to last, but trying to just write everything down, trying to come up with systems so that doesn't happen again. And then, you know, really rather than telling people that I have ADHD, I will just stop and use that horse analogy because if you push me, that's usually when I have a blow up. When I feel like I'm controlled and I don't have control of the situation, example, role play. I don't know about you, but I hate role play and being contracted with a new company, they want me to do role play all the time. And I finally just told them, I can't. I just, I can't, my brain will not let me. And I used the horse analogy and I said, I get to this point and I can't get over the fence, but here's what I can do to try to work around that. And I can tell them, okay, I can tell you what I would say to a customer, but I can't pretend that you are the customer. And it's just that little change that makes a big difference and it works for them. It works for me. I don't melt down. And so I've been able to advocate for myself more just in knowing really what's going on with me. That's such a great point. And I, you know, not only does it speak to how important this diagnosis is for our sense of self and our sense of self-awareness and how often I've said, the diagnosis itself is half the treatment because like you said, like it's, it's just knowing, okay, this is what I'm working with and this is why I am the way I am. And so now I can start seeking a solution and start seeking ways to advocate for myself in the workplace, which I think like using those analogies to explain what works and what doesn't work for you when it comes to your employer or people you work with is so much better than just saying I have ADHD because then you have no idea what they're thinking. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, oh, we need to give her special treatment or there's just things that she can't do. No, I I just need to come a, come around it from a different direction. That's great. And and so you feel like it's has it changed for you with this new job in terms of moving forward? Yeah, it really has. Um, because before I would just I'm really a crier. And when I get emotionally overwhelmed, I will just cry. And so I would start to express myself and put my truth out there to somebody. And the next thing I know is I'm crying and it's not productive um, for either one of us at that point, because I've just kind of gone down that rabbit hole. And so, yeah, it's really helped with that for me to take a step back and go, you know what, this is what's happening with me. I can't do this this way. I need to do this this way. And they're usually pretty receptive to it as long as the outcome is the same. I mean, I still have the same quotas. I still have the same goals. Um, But if they just let me back up and go at it from a different direction, I'm better. Wow. So that's never occurred to me because I am certainly a crier and and an inexplicable crier. So, you know, like you'll be having a conversation with somebody and it drives me crazy that I will start crying and I have no idea why. And then the conversation suddenly pivots to 
being about me crying and no longer a bad, (laughs) I'm like, no, everything is terrible. Stop paying attention to the crying. It's just, it's not a big deal. Um, And I think that there's a, I think a lot of us actually have that issue with, with inexplicable crying or being easily crying in situations like at the workplace where it's really, really inconvenient and it, and it, and it's really annoying. So, and you just sort of brought up something interesting to me, which is like with self-knowledge with understanding, you know, who we are in certain situations, is that, is that helping with the crying? Is that what you're saying? Is that what I'm hearing? Like that, that, um, that the crying might actually be coming from the fact that you are reacting in a certain way that you don't understand, or you're like kind of tamping down some issues that you don't want to deal with right now so that your body reacts by crying. (laughs) Yeah, it was, I think it was the whole frustration thing, because I didn't have the knowledge of what was going on to say, look, I'm getting really frustrated. I need to come back and revisit this in in a little while when I've had a minute to think over it, because I would just dive in and plow in. And this is what I'm feeling. And this is what has to change. And I would just kind of like, emotionally dump on people um and then the frustration would take over I would cry and then you kind of lose all credibility especially in the workplace when you're in a professional setting and there you are crying um then I just find myself apologizing for crying and the whole point of the message no matter how valid it was or how much that thing really needed to change Exactly. It comes back to consoling me because now I'm crying and the whole message is lost. So, you know, it's just really helped me to go, okay, this is what's going on. This is what I need to do for me. And I'll need to come back and revisit this when I've settled down. Or like you said, it or feeling like it's unprofessional and therefore what's wrong with me? Am I unprofessional? So I definitely feel like we need to normalize crying in the workplace. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) right I agree (laughs) um wow no that's really that was such a good point I forgot about that whole issue of crying haven't spoken about that much but that is I think a big issue for a lot of us um and and then having to work so hard to stop it when you know it's coming and and and, and like needing to escape and uh yeah I used to say you could tell what kind of a day I was having because my trash can was full of Kleenex and candy wrappers. Um, You know, that was just the kind of day I was having. If it was a bad day, I was crying and eating chocolate. That reminds me of the Kathy cartoons. Remember those? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I, wow. This is, yeah, I think so many women are going to relate to this story, you brought up so many interesting aspects of ADHD in women that I hadn't spoken about with some of my guests. So I really appreciate that. I'm so glad that I'm actually getting to the point now where I am interviewing women who have listened to the podcast and, and are responding to it. And I get to hear your stories and I get to hear how you are responding to others. Because like I've said before, you know, the whole reason I started this podcast was because the first thing I did when I thought I had ADHD was type women ADHD into the search engine of podcasts because I love podcasts and 
So I, I'm definitely hoping that's how you found the Women in ADHD podcast. It is. It's definitely how I found it. And I just loved it immediately. I left you a review um, under Groucho's mom. Groucho, was that you? That was ah, I love that one. Groucho is the horse. That's, oh. that's the horse's name is Groucho. So I think I read it out in one of the, in, you did. In the sub- yeah. I, and I love that made review. my day too. I was like, oh, oh yeah. I love that. Yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so glad because I love these conversations so much. And like I said, like there's so many light bulbs go off and I just find it so interesting because everybody has like some little different part of their life that you're like, yes, oh yeah. Um, So I just absolutely love holding the interviews. But again, like when I started putting them out there, I was like, is anyone else going to want to listen to these? (laughs) They're great. They're really great. Oh, well, I'm so, I'm so happy that they helped out and that they are helping others. And, and that in turn, we've been able to hear your story too. Cause I know, like you said, coming out is not always the easiest thing to do. And there are a lot of um, hindrances to being open about it, but I think your story will definitely help others for sure. Thank you. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com, or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.